I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to Introvets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to Introvets Podcast. Greetings. The snack-sized episode. It's tiny. Today, we are going to continue our series of snack episodes about dangerous snacks. Mm-hmm. JJ, what is our topic today? Anti- oh, shit. Rodenticides. <laughs> Anticoagulant rodenticides. Okay. I can say that. I typed it out so many times. Anticoagulant rodenticides. Woo! So what we're talking about is the class of rat and mouse poison uh, that targets vitamin K. So these are going to be our vitamin K1 antagonists. That calls bleeding. Naughty. They are very naughty. JJ, mm-hmm. what makes these rodenticides toxic to dogs and cats? Or rats also. <laughs> what makes them toxic in general? They're toxic to all kinds of creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they interrupt the recycling of vitamin K, which is, of course, needed for coagulation. They are synthetic or semi-synthetic derivatives of a mycotoxin made from a moldy sweet clover called dicumeral. I think it's really interesting that these uh, poisons are made from a mycotoxin. Like they're made just from a something that a fungus produces. Mm. Uh, we've seen what some fungus can do. That's so true. It's not that surprising. <laughs> It's very The Last of Us. So it's just have a very specific target, which is weird. <laughs> so now um, there are two generations of uh, vitamin K1 antagonist rodenticides. So the first generation is generally lower in toxicity. It usually has to be ingested in large amounts or have repeated ingestion in order to be toxic. And rodents have shown some resistance to these. They're usually referred to as the warfarins. Mm-hmm. There are some examples. Okay. That um, <laughs> we are having a hard time pronouncing. Some struggle buses going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, we did look up the pronunciations of the other ones. It didn't really help. <laughs> it didn't help, no, because several of the types of pronunciation were very different from one another. So I'm just going to give it uh, the best go. So mm-hmm. in this first generation, warfarin. But then also chlorofacinone, cumatetriol, cumaferil. Yes, I'm for real. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, sorry. Okay, it's very serious. Diafacinone, fumarin, pindone, and valone. Or valone? Valone. I like valone better. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. We decide today. Okay, what about the second generation? The second generation is more common and unfortunately more toxic. Um, it can be toxic after single feeding. And some examples are... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got These are this. not quite as bad. But Look, I'm going to start with the one that I, I feel like I con- I'm confident about. The one that I see the most mm-hmm. in the ER is bromodilin. Bro. Bro. <laughs> and then we've got... Brodiaficum, and then girl, uh, Diphenicum, and then one more, <laughs> Diphethylone. Yes, that's it's right. my best 
try on that one. Yeah, better than I could have done. Mm-hmm. I would have been die filthy. Well, I tell you what we'll do is in the show notes, I will put this list so that you guys can know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, JJ, mm-hmm. when these uh, poisons are eaten by animals, how long does it take for them to start having clinical signs? Uh, since most of uh, your healthy animals are going to have enough clotting factors to last for several days, coagulopathy is delayed for three to seven days in dogs and about 24 to 48 hours in cats. Unfortunately, though, if the creature has a pre-existing liver disease or coagulation disorder, they're more susceptible and they can show clinical signs sooner. Uh, animals that ingest a rodent or another animal contaminated with anticoagulant rodenticide also known as secondary or relay toxicosis. They can develop toxicosis with repeated ingestion, but not usually after a single meal. After these poisons are ingested, how long do they stay in a pet system? The first generation toxins last about seven days, and the second generation, two to four weeks. Yeah. For those second generation ones, when we're treating the pet, and we'll get to this in a little bit, you really have to go for a full 30 days if they've mm-hmm. gotten a hold of those. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with vitamin K1 antagonist ingestion, what would we expect to see clinical signs-wise? Oh, there's a lot of them. Lethargy, weakness, epistaxis, which is nose bleeding, coughing, exercise intolerance, and dyspnea. Pretty much bleeding from any orifice, which is... (laughs) That's really upsetting. But true, (laughs) true. Sometimes multiple, but it could just be one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could. One or more orifice. One or more. Orifice. Orifice. I don't know. <laughs> what is the plural for orifice? Probably just orifices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody please throw a dictionary in my brain. Um, you may also see seizures, upper airway obstruction, melana, lameness, hematuria, ecchymosis. Subcutaneous swelling, hyphema. Yep, that's blood in the interior chamber of the eye. <clears throat> Sorry, JJ. I don't do eyeballs. Uh, hematoma, exophthalmos. So, like protruding, eye, bulging eyeballs. I know. Look, you're you made the list. I don't. <laughs> Paresis, paralysis, and abortion. So let's go back and talk about a couple of these. So obviously, if you aren't clotting well and you have a coagulopathy, you can start to have some spontaneous bleeding. The bleeding from orifices is kind of self-explanatory, okay? Bloody holes. Um, <laughs> seizures would be if we're having like hemorrhages in the brain, mm-hmm. okay? It's not that it's a neurotoxin, it's that your vessels start to literally bleed in your brain. It's very mm-hmm. upsetting. No brain, no. Right. Upper airway obstruction, again, would be from like a bleeding cause, not a result directly of the of the poison. Mm-hmm. Lameness, again, because you might experience bleeding into joint capsules. Echimosis is going to be bruising on the skin, clusters, and then subcutaneous swelling. Um, if you have free bleeder under the skin or something like that, or like um, uh, one of the most recent times that I've personally seen a rat poison case <laughs> when we drew blood. <laughs> From its poor little, I didn't draw it from the jugular because I was like, those dogs got a coagulopathy, I bet. <laughs> and so we just drew it from her peripheral vein and we did put like a little, you know, vet rat band aid on it. But um, 
I came back to check on the dog like two minutes later and there was a gigantic bulge spreading out. I was like, it's so like it just from the stick uh, on the cephalic vein, it was like blowing up like a balloon. So we had to like wrap higher up the leg (laughs) and everything like that. Like it was very scary. (laughs) Exophthalmos, I'm guessing again, like if you have a bleeder behind the eye uh, in that retrobulbar space. Yeah, sorry. Ew. Yeah. Ew. So, JJ, Mm -hmm. what sorts of diagnostic testing might we need to do uh, if we are presented with a patient who we think has gotten into rat poison? Uh, Anticoagulant rodenticide. Uh, So, of course, your CBC, you're going to look for anemia and thrombocytopenia. Um, A chemistry, looking for hyperglycemia, hypokalemia, azotemia. Low globulin, uh, a low protein, and or a low albumin. Again, from like blood loss. Um, you also want to do some coagulation tests, your PT and PTT. Yeah. And in rat poison cases, these are going to be high, high, high. It's not going to be like, oh, it's two things above the reference interval. It's going to be like two how to read, two how to read. <laughs> if they're bleeding from rat poison, that's what it's going to look like. Mm. Now, it's important to remember that if, say, the pet maybe got into rat poison today and we ran these tests, we're not going to expect them to be high, right? Because mm-hmm. JJ told us about how long it takes for um, uh, for these to sort of become active. So the pet has to lose all of its currently produced clotting factors first before it stops being able to access them. So it's not like a same day or even next day sort of thing. It takes a few days for us to see these go up. But if you have a clinically bleeding dog and you're wondering about rat poison, these tests, if it's rat poison, will be through the roof in a clinically bleeding dog. Good to know. Uh, You can do a rodenticide analysis or you can send it off to the lab for one. So a veterinary diagnostic lab can analyze blood, serum, plasma, and or liver samples for identification or confirmation of the exact anticoagulant um, yeah, so like if I guess you were maybe the maybe the owner was like, um, I think my dog maybe got into rat poison, but I don't know for sure. You could draw the blood and send it off while you you know, it obviously cover with vitamin K in that instance. Mm-hmm. I've actually never had to do this or really encountered this. It makes me wonder like cost wise, um Yeah, how much it is. Yeah, if like four weeks of vitamin K is less expensive than the tariff. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. of course, vitamin K is not a fully benign drug, like we'll talk about here in a little bit. There are some side effects. So, you know, it's good to know about. Maybe could offer that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can always, I don't know how fast it would come back, but if it came back within that time frame of them showing signs, you may know, hey, I need to go ahead and preemptively start trying to treat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm just guess like spitballing here. You have an owner bring a dog in, they know it ate some sort of bait, they don't know what it is, you can't find packaging, there's no information, uh, you induce vomiting, you could then send out this type of test while you closely monitor the pet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when it comes back, and then you could go from there. Yep. So, okay. Yep. Speaking of that, you can also send out gastric contents oh. in suspected bait um, it can be analyzed, but only if the ingestion was recent. Okay. I'm ge- Well, I guess the suspected bait can be analyzed at any time True. with the gastric contents. Yeah. 
So yeah, if you make a vomit, you could grab some of that's gross. So grab some of that green area up and mm-hmm. send it in. Or send the blocks in. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that that was like a possibility. So yeah. okay. Sweet. Now, um, when we figure out what's happening, uh, this is vitamin K1 antagonist. We need to start some treatment. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do next? So, obviously, treat any life-threatening signs and stabilize the animal first. Um, so, oxygen if needed, uh, seizure management if needed, blood replacement products if needed, so your whole blood, transfusion for acute hemorrhage or for frozen plasma for, co- for coagulation factors. You know, of course, you want to induce emesis, apomorphine for dogs, and dexmedetomidine for cats. Um, also, treat with your activated charcoal. Asterisk. Asterisk, yeah. <laughs> Listen to the probably five last previous episodes and one other episode where we talked about some activated charcoal shenanigans. That's right. Activated Should charcoal. Can I watch charcoal. out for sodium abnormalities after mm-hmm. administering activated charcoal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also want to treat with your vitamin K1. And it's preferred to be given orally since injection sites can be, injections can cause hematomas. Um, In rare cases, anaphylaxis. And also, vitamin K will get to the liver directly through the portal vein if ingested. So, would you mind speaking up and saying it again for the people in the back of the room? Which part? The whole thing about giving it orally? Yeah. Okay. Because I have have fights with people about this. Bitches. (laughs) Where I'm like, I've had to, like, literally get the book off the shelf and show people, like, it is, if you give it with a fatty meal, it goes fucking directly there. Mm-hmm. The injection is not faster, and there's more risk. Just give it orally. I have, I've literally had, uh, not not physical fights, but, like, arguments. I, I am a pacifist. I would not physically fight someone unless they were trying to harm well, me. Well, my money would be on you. Thank you, you, JJ. Did. I appreciate that. And um, I'll have you back. I just said <laughs> um, That's right. Hopefully you won't come to blows is what I'm saying, but. I've had like literally like a verbal argument with people before where I'm like, I, I, I promise, like I promise that you don't have to give an injection. There's so many downsides, not not the least of which is that stocking uh, injectable vitamin K is expensive. So yeah, I mean, like with the injection, you have to worry about anaphylaxis. They can start to flip and bleed under the skin if they're actively, you know, whatever, bleeding right now. So, yeah, just, like, shove it in there with a high-fat meal and you're good. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Just maybe give some serenium between the emesis and your vitamin K oral medication. Absolutely. Otherwise, they may be like, oh, I ain't that shit. I feel like shit. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, after you induce vomiting, you have the activated charcoal on board, right? You give the serenium injection, Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're going to start them on the vitamin K. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So if they're actively bleeding, that means that they got into the rat poison a while ago. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you're not going to induce vomiting. Nope. You're not going to give activated charcoal. It's not Mm going to do any damn good. They got into it days ago, at least, right? Just start shoveling in that vitamin K. That's right. Just put the fatty meal with the vitamin K into the dog's mouth and get it in there. Okay. That's what we're going to do. And if uh, they did get into it today, you got a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got a little bit of time. What you also can do is for the tiny, tiny animals that are too small for your oral caps and tabs, uh-huh. you can give injectable vitamin K orally. <laughs> That's all right. That's mm-hmm. cool. I didn't know that. 
itty bitty. The teeny tiny, basically like the, the little neonate looking things that are tiny, probably chihuahuas. Mm-hmm. That, you know, get lost <laughs> in the couch. So, so, vitamin K, how long are we going to use this antidote after they get into the poison? The suggested time frame was two weeks for first generation toxins, second generation in 21 days, but I think mostly it that gets rounded up to 30. Yeah, I give it for 30 days. Yeah, that's what I was taught. <laughs> now I'm starting to get some age on me, though, so we can't always go straight with what I was taught anymore. So, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, at least three weeks, I, I usually go four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vitamin K is obviously the main antidote treatment here. Uh, but sometimes patients need some supportive care. Mm-hmm. So what else might we need to consider? You want to do exercise restriction confinement for at least a week after the completion of vitamin K therapy. Uh, avoid intramuscular injections for a week after completion of your vitamin K therapy. Do not use any highly protein-bound drugs such as sulfonamides and NSAIDs. Avoid those if at all possible. And also avoid medications like chlorophenicol, metronidazole, cimetidine, danazole. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't either. But yeah, danazole. Danazole, mm-hmm. neomycin, guanidine, salicylates, and phenobutazone. Mm-hmm. So avoid all those. Yeah, and Bad combos. the reason that you're wanting to exercise restrict and confine and also avoid intramuscular uh, injections is that, you know, they still could be a bleeding risk. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, you've hopefully gone that three to four weeks for the second generation ones. If they don't read the textbook and that poison is hanging around longer and you've stopped the vitamin K, you just want to minimize anything that could cause really severe bleeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they need the, what is it, the special wristband you get at the hospital for mm-hmm. somebody like a fall risk or mm-hmm. somebody that's like, That's right. Put them in a padded cell, you know, just make sure that they can't really hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. Put your floor knives away, you know, (laughs) just like don't throw ninja stars in the house. No stabbies. Just, yeah, just like kind of just chill. Don't put in, don't don't be swinging axes, reticulating saw, no kind of thing near the animal. No ninja activities. That's right. Just, just everybody calm the hell down. Oh, Lord and Jesus. Right. Um, During this time period where they're recovering, how are we going to monitor these patients? So we're going to monitor hematocrit, uh, respirations, do some reticulocyte counts. Come on, technicians, y'all know how to do those. Neurostatus for any type of cerebral hemorrhage. Watch for any lameness, for any joint hemorrhage. And you want to check a PT 48 to 72 hours after completing the vitamin K therapy. If all the above are normal, then no further treatment is necessary. If not, make sure the patient's not continuing to ingest the rodenticide. It's naughty. It's ideal. <laughs> what the fuck? But I'm, if that's in here, it happens. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that it's happened. Uh, so, um, after you make sure that stupid's not happening, um, you want to continue your vitamin K therapy for another two weeks and then recheck a PT. So your PT should always be like the kind of the thing that you keep checking. And yeah. when it's fine, then you can stop. Yeah. And of course, it's important to check the PT after three days of being off of the vitamin K. Because if you have vitamin K on board, then it'll be normal. Be normal. <laughs> so you don't check it and then stop. You stop, stop and, and then, then check, check it. it. Stop exactly. hammer time. That's right. Then check yourself or you wreck yourself. Mm-hmm. 
So, JJ, yeah. what is the prognosis for vitamin K1 antagonist retinoside ingestion? Overall, it's pretty good. Anticoagulant retinoside toxicosis is the second most common toxicant associated with death in companion animals. But as long as you get a good, quick diagnosis and treatment, survival is pretty good, favorable. Okay. Yeah. I've uh, had a lot of dogs do really well, even ones that I've seen come in bleeding. Mm-hmm. I got a story to tell you about one of them. Oh, <laughs> be really exciting. Story time. <laughs> but we'll save story time for last. Okay. Uh, so, what about breed or species predilection? Um, not really anything breed wise. Dogs are exposed more often than cats, probably because they eat everything. <laughs> and you would think cats because, you know, a lot of them eat rodents, but there are uh, likely to be a little bit more resistant huh. than other species. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be more common in younger dogs and in medium to smaller breeds. Hmm. Yeah, I've actually, that I can recall, never seen a cat come in having eaten rat poison. I mean, that's not to say that it can't happen. I just, in 15 years of practice, have never seen that occur i've only ever seen dogs with this <sighs> so yeah. let me tell you about my one case yes the this is the case the only case off the top of my head that i can think of where it wasn't that the owners knew that the dog had gotten rat poison it, we had to figure it out on the back end okay so mm-hmm. this was an er case and uh It is a case I saw. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to change a little bit about how the patient came in and that kind of a thing, you know, just because I don't want to violate any kind of confidentiality there. Protect the innocent. That's exactly right. So we're going to say that, you know, this was like a small to medium-sized dog breed that is often used in hunting. Okay, Mm -hmm. but in this case, it was not a hunting dog, but a companion animal of that breed. And um, the dog lived on a farm and, you know, spent uh, most of the time at night inside, but really ran on the farm a lot during the day. Okay, and the owners had noticed that the day before the pet didn't come up in the evening. And so they went out to try to find her and they did find her and she was tangled up in a barbed wire fence. Mm. Now, overall, she was okay. She was mostly just stuck in there. It wasn't like razor wire. It was just barbed wire. And, the you know, the barbs were pretty far apart. So she was just like stuck in part of the roll that was laying on the ground. So she was tangled. And she had like a small laceration just on her ear pinna. But everything else was okay, like cut-wise. They were able to cut the barbed wire and get her untangled. And then you know, pull the little barb out of her ear. And at that time, it bled quite a bit. Well, you know how ears bleed. Mm -hmm. I mean, they bleed like a stuck pig. So they didn't really think like anything super weird about it. They were like, oh, it's bleeding, you know. So they like, you know, did like an ear wrap at home. Mm -hmm. And um, then eventually it stopped. And they were like, oh, she seems fine. She ate dinner. You know, they went on to bed. Oh, well, the next morning they got up and they found the dog just laying like laterally very woozy and like a it looked like a bloodbath okay Mm. there was blood everywhere and the dog was kind of just laying in a pool of blood okay 
So they scooped the dog up and raised her to the ER where I was the clinician on duty and saw her. And I can't, <laughs> I can't really overstate the degree to which this dog was covered in blood. Like it was everywhere. It was soaked into the collar. Mm. Like the fur, like you, the dog was really a mostly white dog. And you're like, <laughs> this looks like a red dog, actually, you know? <laughs> and so like, you bring it in. What is that movie, Carrie, when they dump the. Right, the pig blood. <laughs> and that's what it looked like. And so um, I get the dog in. It's, you know, a young dog. It's like really silly normally. So, but I get like three tail thumps, you know, Mm. and it's like trying to get me to pet it. But, you know, it's not like you can tell it's really woozy. And I lift that lip and that gum is like white. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, (laughs) like, oh, my God. And so, um, you know, uh, we place a catheter really quickly. We like put pressure on the wound. And I'm looking and, they, you know, they told us it was on the ear. Do you see anything else bleeding? No, it's only been the ear. So I'm like looking, trying to find this wound. And so I just get the clippers down. I just start shaving all this matted, bloody fur off the ear. And I finally find it on the underside. And it is like tiny. Mm. It is the smallest damn cut that you like. What? Like, how is all this blood coming from this? Okay. Well, so anyway, you can like push your finger on it and the bleeding will stop. And so what I did was I was able to get it stopped with some silver nitrate. So I shaved, 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 clean, clean, clean. And it was like, one, two, three, silver nitrate, you know, mm-hmm. and the dog didn't appreciate it, but we at least like got it to stop. Mm-hmm. And so um, then it's like, okay, well now we need to bathe the dog and figure out where the hell else this blood could be coming from. Cause it can't be this tiny cut on the ear. Well, fast forward, long story short, it was, mm-hmm. So I had to go into the room and tell the owner, like, okay, we got the bleeding to stop. We got the dog on some fluids. You know, we've drawn blood for a PCV. It's not blood transfusion level, but girl, it's damn near there. You know, if it drops anymore, we got to think about it. But let's talk about how, why is, what's going on? There's no way that this tiny cut could produce all this blood unless the patient has got something else going on. So we talk. And I go through the history and they're like, yeah, but there's no way we do put rat poison out. Okay. But there's no way that the dog could have gotten into it. It's not in a place where she can access all of these things. And I'm like, we need to check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to check these coagulation factors. Mm-hmm. And the dog had had previous surgery, you know, no, no things where like she'd ever bled before. So we did draw PTPTT. Luckily we could run it in house at this facility to how to read to how to read. So we ended up starting vitamin K mm-hmm. and that dog did really well. The silver nitrate held girl. It held Cause I was like, Oh man, I don't want to put this dog under anesthesia. But uh, luckily the silver nitrate fixed the bleeding and the vitamin K fixed the underlying cause of the bleeding and the dog did well and had a full recovery. Yay. Happy ending. Very happy. Uh. So that is my story about how I diagnosed that dog's so lucky. Can Britain's you imagine son. if it got more cuts from the... Right? Wolf. It could have been worse. What if it had had, like, internal injury or, mm-hmm. you know, so what if the owners had been on a trip or something and not come home? It would have, That dog would have bled out mm-hmm. from that tiny... I'm talking about... This was, like, a three millimeter... Like, this was the smallest fucking cut. Like, it was mm-hmm. so small. So small. Yeah. But that was the tip-off. Like, there's no reason that this should be bleeding this much. 
good catch. Mm-hmm. I was pretty proud of it. <laughs> I was pretty proud of it. Mm-hmm. I bet that dog's happy too. That's right. She seemed very happy by the time she left the hospital. <laughs> she got to stay overnight, but she went home the next day. Because overnight, um, you know, we got the vitamin K on board. We gave it orally with a high fat meal. And this <laughs> silly dog ate it right up, you know. Yep. And uh, by the next day, uh, her PCV had even climbed a couple of points. No more bleeding. And we kicked her out of the hospital. Sweet. And I was like, you better put this dog in a padded room. Do not <laughs> do not juggle knives or let it run. Like, I was like, keep this dog inside. Do you understand what I'm talking about? No get rid of the damn rat poison. Are you serious? <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Lord have mercy. All right, guys. Well, I think that just about wraps up rodenticide ingestion on, of the anticoagulant variety. Yep. We did cover a lot about neurotoxin rodenticide. Uh, it was this season. Mm-hmm. I should have looked up which episode it was. Uh, I think the episode was, it was this season episode. I think it's called Mousing Hawk because yep. we were talking about natural rodent control. Yes. <laughs> um, so that uh, covers bromethylene mm-hmm. ingestion. So if you have questions about that, you can go back and listen to that episode. And I think that's about all the time we have. Uh, before we sign off, though, I do just want to remind everybody, uh, especially my vet techs here in Alabama, that the Alabama Veterinary Technician Association is having their annual conference on October the 21st right here in Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, Huntsville. Yeah. And I will be presenting at that conference. Sweet. I will be hosting a workshop on enforcing and setting boundaries. Mm. And so if you are interested in that topic, I'd love to see you there. Don't forget to sign. You can you can sign up online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I looked and the cost seems pretty reasonable for um, the amount of CE that you get. They have multiple tracks. So if you're not interested in boundaries, there's a different topic at that time that you can hear. <laughs> but I really would like for you to come to mine if we can. Mm-hmm. Um so if you have any questions about that, you know, check out the Alabama Vet Tech Association website. Well, if you have stories, questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. Sorry. I started laughing because I remembered something in the middle, which is that we got an email today from a listener who just sent us a link to a TikTok. Like, no explanation. It's just linked to a TikTok. And I was like, Am, is this a scam? Like, am I going to get, mm-hmm. is this a phishing email? Um, but I super did click on it. Um, that was probably dangerous and I'd probably get in trouble. But anyway, I think it was legit because it took me to a TikTok about primordial pouches. <laughs> I was like, yes, this seems legit after all. And it was a song. Uh, dun, 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 and it was saying all of the different names for primordial pouches that they were proposing. <laughs> And it was amazing. And I definitely am going to do that for our TikTok account because it's amazing. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So I saw that, like, um, I got home from working my ER shift last night and um, I pulled it up and looked at it. And it was, like, very fun and nice to have uh, to watch after my <laughs> ER shift. <laughs> I'm going to have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. 
You guys absolutely can email us TikTok links. That's fine. But also, you could just friend us on TikTok, boop, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, send it through the TikTok send feature. Thing. Yeah, that's right. If, if you, you send it through email, maybe, like, yeah. just a little explanation. We'll just, just be like, um, this is legit, and it might be referencing this or something, some sort of thing that points out that you're not trying to scam so, yeah, you can send us an email, introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media, unless you're a scammer. That's right. Please <laughs> don't reach out in that case. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and the Tiki Talk. And it's at introvets. Yes. I forgot that part. It's okay. Uh, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. You better. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.